0: Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Good. Everybody good? Awesome. Hey, here's the good news this morning. I am not speaking. Let a shout go up from the people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason it's good news is because my good friend Dan Wilt is here. Everybody say hello to Dan. Amen. Dan, why don't you come on up. Dan works for Vineyard USA in an official capacity. Which means that Dan is a big dog in the vineyard. And we're really glad he's here. He's from Franklin, Tennessee. And his wife will be here with his second service. And there's a ton of stuff I could say about Dan, but I just won't. He's a deep well. Let's just drink from what the Lord's given him. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. I bring you love and greetings from your family over in the Franklin Vineyard. And uh, it really is a gift to be here. This time I do get to bring my wife with me. Woo-hoo. She'll be here second service. She's invisibly present with us now in prayer as she sleeps steeply at the hotel because she can. So uh, I'd like to just begin us with a word of prayer and then I'll, I'll walk us through some of what the next few minutes will, will hold together. Spirit of God, we give you thanks for moments in eternity that you bring convergences of relationship. Relationships old, relationships fresher, newer. And we give you thanks that in all these kinds of moments when we're gathered in your name, you invest them with unseen power. You provide opportunities, threshold moments for transformation. And your word says that you shower the gifts of God on the people of God as we come and we worship and we sing the songs of Zion, of home, as we celebrate your name and your word and we do so in unity and fellowship and friendship. We give you thanks for your kingdom coming, your will being done in our generation. We give you thanks for your kingdom coming and your will being done among the children as they meet this morning in other rooms. and. And in our hearts, as we consider your love, as we consider your living word, we pray that it would do what you promised it would do, that it would divide between soul and spirit. It would get into the nitty-gritty. It would get into the nuances of our lives. And we would begin to see things with clear borders that have been muddied uh, before this moment. So let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. And all God's people together said, amen. Amen. Well, it really is a a privilege to be with you. Uh, I want to really set out an adventurous agenda for the next few minutes. Um, I'd like to try to do four things, three of which will be moments in time. And then the fourth one, the message will, will take the most time. And uh, my wife always thinks it's dangerous when I say those things because she calls me the king of introductions. In our home, we have these king and queen, you know, she's the, the I'm the king of exceptions. She's the queen of rules. Uh, so uh, so uh, we uh, we have an adventure together. But, uh, but I want to share, I, yes, uh, I want to share, it was loaded with meaning, wasn't it? Uh, I want to share with you really uh, three things in preface. Today is officially the fourth Sunday of Easter. According to the church calendar, he is risen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The mystery of faith being uh, spoken and chanted and shouted in churches across the world today is Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And at that point in the service, there's momentum that leads up to it and people familiar with it. It's in their blood. It's in their bones. They get ready to shout that mystery of faith. So I'd like us to try it together. The mystery of faith is Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Let's proclaim together the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And in these uh, moments that we have in what's called the season of Easter, Eastertide, we take 50 days to celebrate uh, culminating in Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate the coming of the spirit and it's likened back to Genesis where the spirit of God moves over the surface of the waters. His creative breath brings order to chaos, which is what creativity can do. And, uh, and it brings it into this culminating moment of Pentecost where the spirit of God invests his love and his heart in a fresh living way to empower ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so we gather together as, in a sense, inheritors of that legacy. And we're here together inheriting the gift of the Holy Spirit, who's our seal of redemption till the day we see Christ face to face. And so Tide is really a season to celebrate that. And I always like to, uh, whenever I'm in an environment on an Easter Sunday, one of the Easter Sundays, uh, I like to just uh, offer a reading. So the first thing I want to do is just offer you a reading from a favorite author, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, it's, it's thick and deep and meaty, so uh, I didn't put it up on the screen, but let's just linger in his words for a moment. He says this, It was well that the tomb should be sealed with all the secrecy of ancient Eastern sepulcher and guarded by the authority of the Caesars. For in that cavern, the whole of that great and glorious humanity, which we call antiquity, was gathered up and covered over, and in that place it was buried. It was the end of a very great thing called human history. The history that was merely human. The mythologies and the philosophies were buried there. The gods and the heroes and the sages. In the great Roman phrase, they had lived. But as they could only live, so they could only die. And they were dead. And on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation. With a new heaven and a new earth, and in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. Isn't that beautiful? Easter is the most complete, full frontal attack that's ever been waged in history. Uh, Not on a bloody battlefield where temporary conquerings and defeats occur, but on the battlefield of the heart that lasts forever. It's a full frontal attack that triumphed over the barriers that hold us back from receiving and experiencing the love of God. And so we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the new life of Easter in us and at work in the world by the Spirit of God. And we join Him and we partner with Him in in His work in the world. Amen? So there's our Easter moment for this morning. Uh, The second thing I'd like to do, that was moment number one. The second thing I'd like to do is just uh, bring a word of encouragement to you. I've had a a bit of a fascinating week. I, I actually, in preparation for the message... Uh, did something that was, again, adventurous. I tried to take in, and I I counted them, the last 10 messages that have been spoken here to figure out what kinds of conversations have probably been happening over meal tables and pre-service prayer and in homes all around. And either in whole or in part, I took those in. I was with Dave Nixon as he talked about fried Twinkies. I was with you, Ray, eight minutes on the word hour. Dude, like you rocked it. It was beautiful in the Lord's Prayer. Bare bones, the feast, the fire in the bones, the trust that this this calls forward in us as we walk this journey of intimacy in, in the simple things of faith. And then that went through Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and the celebration. I, I, I emotionally and imaginatively drank champagne with you on Easter Sunday morning. And, uh, and then, of course, we have the, the story of the Lord's Prayer just continuing and unfolding. And I was deeply moved and connected with it. And some of the things that happened uh, for me uh, really kept me up in the night. Uh, at, uh, on Thursday night, I believe it was, at 2.56 a.m., because you look at your clock when you wake when you don't want to. And uh, uh, the Lord woke me up with, with an exhortation that I'll conclude with here at the end that I, I sense was for you. But um, it, it stirred in me. Many things were stirring in me this week. And one of them was just a great encouragement to you as a community. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just say this at one service, but I, I think I'll say it at both. Um, you realize the treasure that's here, I hope. And the treasures that are all around this room. Your treasures to one another. You see that. You feel that. I got to taste some of those treasures uh, last night. Where are you at? Thanks, man. Uh, was, we were over at the barbecue place. Was, mm, happy thoughts all night long. And my wife's like, what are you going to order a salad? I'm like, meat. Large quantities of meat. So, uh, um, but there's, there are treasures here that the Lord's given you. And, and guys, you know, I don't know how often I'll get to be with you um, we actually don't know how often uh, from some of our stories in this room and some of mine across my lifetime, uh, we don't know if we'll even see each other again after this morning. We just have no clue. Life happens and the Lord is in the midst of it all. So um, there's something in my heart that that just said, you know, I just want to deliver something to you again. I think I might have said it many moons ago when I was here last, but I want to say it maybe in a unique way. Uh, Your community life here is a great treasure and I don't say that only in that warm way that, that you would recognize already. This is a treasure. It's, it's a great gift to have the Campbellsville Vineyard here. I say it because I believe it's iconic. I believe that it's something the Lord will want to use to continue to inspire other communities in the body of Christ. Not only in Kentucky and in this area, but around the world. Uh, I deeply believe it. It's already finding its way different places. And it's a shared life that's very simple and normal for you or has become such. But I want to say to you that it's, it's uh, I don't want to say abnormal, that would be the wrong word, or super normal. Because it's not necessarily above normal in the kingdom of God, but it is special. And it's something that the Lord's orchestrated through simple human decisions and plans and people struggling and finding their way with God. And decisions happen, which is going to be the meat of the, of the message I want to share. Decisions happen along the way, but the Lord has cultivated some ground and He's caused some things to flourish that He's going to give voice to. And so you're going to have to become uh, a community that's good at curating and stewarding the gift of the life that you share together, the gifts of the creativity that are here, the gifts of the wisdom and insight. That that God seems to allow to have become normal in your community here. And something special I want to say about Adam, um, and uh, I have great regard for many friends here and the gifts and the treasures that are all over this room. Never stop tweeting, friend, um, <laughs> by the by. And, uh, but uh, I want to say something about Adam, that there's something very special about him. I think you know that already in terms of Uh, I've been in the vineyard family for many moons all the way back to many moons is your word for the day. Somebody tweet that. You're welcome. Uh, This is free. Uh, But uh, I've I've been in the vineyard movement since the beginning. Uh, I kind of came on the tail end of John Wimber and kind of learned as one of the younger ones coming into the movement at that time. And the, the, by the grace of God, I've gotten a chance to spend a lot of time with some of the broader branches and trunks of the church in the Catholic world, in the Orthodox world, and a lot of different kinds of churches, in a lot of different countries and places. And one of the things I want to say to you is that um, Adam is imperfect. Anyone want to argue with me? Okay, Heather? <laughs> we, need a, we need a list on the screen right now. Uh, Adam is imperfect, but there's something very precious in him. Uh, I've rarely heard such revelatory teaching uh, in in my journey, even in the Vineyard family, and, and there's been a lot of that. Uh, that is also laced with wisdom, that's laced with compassion, that's uh, that's driven by a love for the marginalized, that is oriented toward calling forward the creative voice, the new orders of our generation, and uh, and I just want to encourage you to pray and to intercede uh, for He and Heather as you pray and intercede for your community. Because there's life here. There are jewels everywhere. And yes, I'm staring at you at this point, Hannah. Um, But there are jewels everywhere around this room and in this community. But there's something special that I want to encourage you to curate in prayer. To intercede, to ask God to help you be generous as as life and time goes on. Is that okay? Okay. So there's just a a word of encouragement to you. This is something special. And um, yeah, I'll leave it there. So uh, I want to share with you for for uh, a bit of time here on a topic that's become particularly meaningful uh, to me and really uh, arose from... On some significant levels, hearing some of the teaching, some of the river you've already been rafting on or swimming in along the way as I dip my toe in it, uh, something began to, to stir in me. And it it speaks of the Easter season, but it also speaks to an area of our life that I believe is is crucial to our everyday joy, crucial to our everyday capacity to receive joy. Uh, It's crucial to our our lives incrementally adding up to something substantial. Uh, The theological term is having lives with gravitas having lives that have the weight of the character of Christ, that are substantial in heart and mind, um, and uh, over time, and it's the area of decision-making. And so what I've titled this message is Life on the Threshold, the Sacred Art of Decision-Making. Life on the Threshold, and the image that I've chosen is from a favorite painter of mine, Caravaggio, who loved to play with light, and he usually liked to play with light on metal. Um, But he loved to play with light, and it's a fascinating image because it's the image, you see Judas kissing Christ in the image, and you see the soldiers taking Christ away. And what we're actually looking at is the aftermath, the outcome of a decision that was made a few minutes before. And I believe it was a raw decision that was made and I want to just, just read you something about uh, decisions that may, may help contextualize where this is going. Christ has made a decision. He hit a threshold moment, which the, the Latin word for this is liminus, a liminal moment, a moment where things change. Have you ever had to make a decision where one moment you were one person and the decision was about to make you a completely different person or at least a, a new Iteration of yourself that was, was was terrifying. Anyone have that experience? Or moments when you're in the midst of grief and pain and there's a decision of the heart going, there's silent decisions of the heart going on all over the room at a funeral. I actually, I'm, I'm, my wife thinks this is strange, but I love to be at funerals. I would probably rather officiate funerals than I would weddings. And I love weddings, I love celebrations and eating and drinking and feasting. I love all that. But the reason I love funerals is because I know all over the room, hidden decisions of the heart are being made in the midst of grief. Life is frail. The, 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 the ends, the nerve endings are all open. And people are making hidden decisions of the heart based on the material that they have to work with their upbringing. If they're Christians, they have the spirit of God helping them with the decision, but people in moments become bitter or better. They just make decisions. And it's also been miraculous to me how a word, a song, a scripture, a touch can alter someone's reality and the inner decision of the heart. It is fascinating to watch. Every day we make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions. And if we actually thought about each one, we'd probably lose it, right? <laughs> what should I drink for breakfast? You know, we don't <laughs> want to get locked up in those, but we do. There are inner, there's inner material we're working from. Some decisions last for a few hours, like what we had for breakfast. Some decisions last for a few years, like what job or career path we're going to follow. Some decisions last a lifetime, like who or if we'll marry, how many children we'll have, or where we'll live. Still other decisions undergird, and they transcend all of these They're even more expansive, magnificent, vividly holy, and spiritually forceful decisions than the first. They bear a sacred, infinite mark that places them in a category all their own, while at the same time they feed and inform all the other decisions of our lives. They're eternal decisions, decisions that last forever, decisions made at threshold watershed moments in our lives. They're decisions forged from truths that were established before we took our first breath. They're shaped by what it means to draw breath every day, and they're imbued with unseen power to transcend the death of this body as we know it. These decisions have implications for the afterlife, while reflecting meaning and energy back into the most mundane decisions we make every day. These decisions take time to articulate themselves as unseen forces loosen the grip of hidden avoidance in our hearts. Anyone ever delay a decision? infinitely until you were forced to make it because we're avoiding and we need, we need grace to loosen the avoidances in our heart and just decide it. These decisions occur at threshold moments in our lives when our eyes are suddenly opened to see beyond the explicit and the obvious. Our ears are suddenly opened to hear the music rustling behind the din of our daily life. They're threshold decisions, eternal decisions that contain and heal our past, make or break our now, and reveal and frame our future. For example, the decision to follow Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision. You're at a threshold moment. It's another threshold moment. And the fact is the temperature of the room is like the temperature of the room at your house. You'll eat and drink today. There will be all sorts of normal things that go on. But there are moments in time God says here. God says now. Make the decision. And it will change everything. Including entire family lines. Stories and homes and marriages and relationships. These decisions alter family lines forever. They have the power to transform homes, workplaces, cities, generations, and entire worlds. These are the decisions that should get our very best attention, as they will, in the end, rule all the others that we make. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter... Go ahead and go to the next slide, if you would. Matthew chapter 26... Verses thirty six to forty six. What I'd like to do for a few moments together is take us to a moment where Jesus is making a decision. The beauty of the Easter season is that we understand from the Gospels. It's what N. T. Wright said. Sometimes we talk about the Christian story in creedal terms, where we talk about the only real things that ever happened in the Christ event in history, where that He was died. You know, uh, excuse me, that He was that He was born of a virgin, He died on a cross, and He was raised from the dead, and He'll return. By the way. Whereas that's a very digital story. That's all ones and zeros. The analog story of the Gospels has hiss and buzz and detail to it. It has everyday life. It has waking and sleeping and how people are spoken to in private and how people are spoken to in public. We have an entire life packed within this buzzing richness of music that is the Gospels. And we can begin to explore it. And in the Easter season, we begin to realize that Jesus is the Lord of the cross as he is the Lord of the incarnation, as he is the Lord of the resurrection, as he is the Lord of the prostitute trembling on her knees, waiting for people to stone her. As he is the Lord of the great feast and party. Do I hear a shandala from the congregation? As he is the Lord of the mourning and grieving and the moment of tremendous loss that is so severe, even the Son of God cries because it's his only language to capture the essence of it. And so we go through this analog story and there's a moment preceding the cross that really illustrates for us how the will works, how volition is the word for will, our choices, our decisions, because we are all making them. How many of you have ever been called to make a decision and you quietly sat there making a decision in your heart like, I'm not going to do that. You know, we used to say, you know, how do you know who your church members are? They're the people who didn't vote with their feet, walking out the door, you know, forever. They just disappear. Yeah. Anyone ever say, yeah, I'm totally going to be there. No, I am so going to be there. I'll see you there. Very excited about it. And in your heart, you're going, no, I'm not going. (laughs) You will not see me today. (laughs) We go back to these these images, these pictures. And there's this moment in the garden. Sorry, I keep pulling this. There's this moment in the garden that we call the Garden of Gethsemane. (coughs) I've had the privilege to walk in the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel. And it's a fascinating, uh, surreal experience to begin to imagine uh, th- this world that Christ is living in. Because it smells like something. It tastes like something. It is something you can touch. And this is a real world we're in. And it says this, that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while, I'll go, while I go over there and pray. Anyone ever pray over a major decision? mullet any of you ever worry before god for hours over a major decision <laughs> and call it prayer <laughs> uh, you know uh, this, is, this is why the lord's prayer helps us <laughs> because it keeps us focused and sometimes you know in our spontaneity and in our informality and hey we don't need other prayer yes we do we need anchor points to sink our feet deep into soil and stay there and focus on what's good and right Uh, It's like a great song, right? You walk in, your world is shattered, lying on the floor, and you begin to sing, and all of a sudden your world goes... And it all comes back to center again, right? So we need these prayers, but it says Jesus, with his disciples, he takes his community, he takes his friends with him to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, because he loves Peter. Peter is awesome, Peter is the patron saint of silliness. It's awesome. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled because he's got a decision to make. So we must realize all along the way, there are certain moments where a revelation can carry our decision. Has anyone ever had an encounter with God or something where, where you barely even feel like you made the decision? You were just swept into it. That's the way decisions happen sometimes. Then there are other ones that are in front of us and they cost us something, but they don't cost us everything. So we pray about them a little bit, we get some input and then we make them, right? Then there are other decisions that are the eternal decisions, the epic decisions, the altering decisions, the watershed decisions. And Jesus is about to make one of those. And we think, oh, he's just swept up in the will of God. Clearly at this point, we see he is not just swept up In doing what the father has asked him to do. Because three times he's going to ask for the possibility of getting out of it. But something else is going on here. So it says, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's saying to his community, this is a really tough one. I just need to know you're here. I don't even need to talk about this. I just need to know you're with me. I need friends. This is where the blood and bone of Christ comes into the mix. We need friendships. We need each other. We're not designed to be alone and isolated, which is the first thing the enemy does when we're in our greatest sorrows. He cuts us off from others, and then we make silly decisions in the aftermath. So it says here, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So he's fallen down on the ground. He is distressed. The scriptures are going to tell us what scientists tell us is is, is something we can actually do. He's so distressed by this decision that's about to be made that he's sweating physical blood. It's coming out of his pores in mixture with with his sweat. He's under duress. He's under distress. He is feeling the weight of the decision and it's going way beyond him. Going beyond his own comfort and plans, and he says these words, "Yet not as I will volition, not as I choose, not as I decide, but as you will, as you choose, as you decide, Father. Now many of us would pray those same prayers, but how many of you have you know gone through this, this experience that it's not God speaking that I don't trust, it's me hearing that's that's what i'm concerned about that i'm just going to hear the wrong thing because it's going to run through all sorts of filters and by the time it gets to me i'm just going to make the wrong decision but i do believe that god remains pure and holy and said the right thing i just blew it again so yet not as i will but as you will then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping couldn't you men keep what I'm glad that it says men in this translation because the women would have been on this. But let's just say the guys had had too much to eat and they were dozing. So he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me? For one hour. What he's saying is couldn't you man. It goes all the way back to Yahweh. It goes all the way back to this picture of Mount Moriah. Where God is seeing. Moriah means Yahweh sees. And he sees Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. And he sees Solomon. He sees David on the threshing floor. He sees the temple. God sees. To be seen is to be loved. And he says couldn't you keep watch with me. Couldn't you keep alert. Couldn't you see me. Couldn't you see what was happening for just an hour? Was now actually nap time for you? Or was it time for you to be present, to be the Yahweh who sees for me? Bonhoeffer said at one point, he said, there are many times in our lives I will need the Christ in you to tell the Christ in me to come forth because I will be weak. And he says, can't you watch? Couldn't you have seen me and seen what was going on for this period of time? You were so lost in your own physical animal comforts and needs. And he says, "Couldn't you keep watch with me just for one hour?" He asked Peter, and then he says it again. He commands them, "Watch and pray, so that you won't fall into temptation." The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Never do we feel that more than when we're really tired. <laughs> I just want to sleep. Go on from here, if you would. He went away a second time. So he goes back. This is showing us that Jesus is making a decision. He's making choices. His will is involved here. He goes back a second time and he says, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Have you ever asked a question like that? It's like, I mean, hey, if it's not possible, I totally... I mean, I'm totally with you on this. I get it, I get it, but... Just say, and there might be a possibility that you're feeling especially merciful today. Could this be passed? from May your will be done. We know the story. But he asks it and he says it again. He comes back to his resolve again. If you would, if it's possible, that would be great. But if not, your choice, your decision, your will, let it lead. Let it lead. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. Doesn't that make you want to yawn, just even saying that their eyes were heavy? Matt, are your eyes heavy right now? Go ahead, you take a nap. <laughs> I used to, when I was teaching at the university, if I'd have students sleeping in class, I wouldn't wake them up because for some of them, they were receiving more of what I was saying asleep <laughs> than they were awake, <laughs> drooling, you know, their Facebook. You know. Anyway, ah, they had to power down in my class, by the way. Anyway. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. Their eyes are heavy, so he left them. He went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Maybe, possibly, if it could, that would be great, because I feel what's coming. I know what's coming. I sense what's coming. I see where all this has been going. Lord, if you want to fix this another way, this would be a great time. Because at that moment, Jesus could have run. At that moment, Jesus could have gotten out of there. At that moment, he could have made an alternate decision. What enabled him not to make that decision? Uh, A good friend of mine who I know is a good friend of yours here, becoming that increasingly so is Gary Best. Uh, He's one of my dearest friends in the world. What Wimber was to many, Gary was to me. He taught me to hear the voice of God, how to pray for the sick. He taught me how to uh, love other people hearing God more than holding a microphone and hearing... Myself, you with me? You know, he taught he taught me how to be compassionate to the poor. He taught me how to love the marginalized in society because Christ is among them, and he just taught me so many things. And he used to say, you know, it's it's no use having a, a, a WWJD bracelet on if you haven't practiced doing what Jesus did beforehand. It's like having a WW, you know, Steph Curry D bracelet on. And, and you're about, you know, at this moment of making a shot. But the fact is you can't make it if you haven't been practicing it for years and years and years leading up to that moment. So at this moment, Jesus is coming to, we have a practice decision making process that he comes to that enables him to make this hardest one of his life because it's going to tilt into the cross. And guys, for all we want to celebrate the all-knowing Christ who is fully God and fully man and celebrate his expansive knowledge and wisdom and all these sort of things, I believe that while he knew from his heart that God would raise him from the dead, he had to be fully man and not know what all this process would end in. He knew it, but sometimes you know something. I know this will be good in the end. But I also know what it's going to take to get there. And it's all you can see. It's all you can see. So he's practiced something over time that's now culminating in this moment. When he came back, um, did I say that again? Yeah, sorry. Prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said, Are you sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And verse 46 cannot assist, not escape us. And I love that they wrote it this way. We don't hear a waffling Jesus in this moment. We don't hear it anymore. We don't hear the, if this cup, it's gone. Now we get, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And he starts walking that way instead of the other one. Because the resolve has been settled. The issue is done. And the issue was done because he fought for it and he had practiced a decision-making process that led him to that point in time. And now he had honed it into an art form. He was now following a second nature habit that was telling his first nature impulse what to do. You ever hear the story of the, the the guy who landed the Hudson, the plane on the Hudson? You know, you've probably used that as a metaphor. Please tell me you did. What? Are you kidding me? It's like been everywhere. Everyone's doing it. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's like, oh, if everyone's doing it, I don't... Anyway. That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like any culture I know. I'm just saying, you know. Um... So uh, I completely lost where I was in that little moment. What was I saying? The The Hudson, yeah. He landed the plane on the Hudson. They did all these interviews with this pilot. How did you do this? How did you land this? And he said, oh, I, they said, you know, did you follow your instincts? Did you just go? He said, oh no, all the opposite. I didn't follow one instinct I had. I followed my years and years and decades of training in the glider simulator that said, don't you dare do what you think you should do do this instead. And he said, my second nature habits dominated my first order instincts and we all landed safely and lived. That's the language and the math of virtues in our lives. Patience does not come naturally to me. Seems to with people, but not with uh, inanimate objects like computers. (laughs) Anyway, um, but... uh, These virtues are something that we practice until something is formed in us and now we do things that we wouldn't normally do by instinct. And this is the training ground of the Christian. This is why discipleship matters. We don't all come into this naturally and we meet Jesus and our heart is changed. We receive his love and it slowly does transform us over years, over time. But we need to learn how to replace our our first nature instincts with second order habits. So he's done this. He's come to this place. And we come to this moment um, where it culminates in him making a decision that's going to turn the tide for all of human history. Because the Bible is an earth book, but it has reflections to the cosmos, which I love. And this is the resonance that that gives us a legacy of how to make decisions today. So I want to just take us through three quick steps on how to make decisions And I'm going to draw from this passage and I'm going to draw from Ignatius who spent his life trying to help people become more self-aware and recognize that if they understood their own hearts, they would begin to understand the world around them. They would begin to take risks. They would begin to make great exploits. They would begin to do innovative uh, expressions of the kingdom without thinking twice about it. They would risk their lives because they understood that God loved them and was near them, but they lingered in it for years before they'd ever go do anything. So, number one, name your attachments. Name your attachments. A friend of mine is a painter in Canada, you know, one of those guys that sells a painting for 50 grand. I'm like, I want to paint. I want to paint. That would be wonderful. Go to Heather's class. Maybe you'll, you'll have some little uh, funding for later in your life. Um, but uh, name your attachments. A friend of mine, this painter, he would always, when he was preparing a painting, I'd go into his studio, this massive studio in Ontario, and, uh, and he'd take this, this uh, massive canvas and he'd start putting on it what was called gesso. And gesso is basically, it's this huge white, you know, it's this white kind of plasterish thing, whatever. And he would get the canvas prepared and smooth, so all the bumps were out. Now, for Ignatius, he said, what we have to do to make effective decisions, it doesn't mean that your choice for what you have for breakfast needs to go through this process. But when you have bigger decisions to make, this is a very helpful process that we see Jesus embodying and, and culminating in this moment. Name your attachments, prepare the canvas, get it white, get it clean. Attachments are those things that are filtering the decision you're about to make. They're hidden things that you've decided already you can't live without, that you're bringing silently to the equation. Anyone ever about to make a decision about a house? Maybe it's a a married couple. You're about to make a decision about a house, and you start talking about things, and you realize that there are hidden things in people that they're having, and then the conversation brings it out, and you're like, oh, it has to be within 20 miles of what? Oh, it has to... Oh, oh, these are all attachments. We get those out. We lay them on the table. Jesus spent his life learning the spiritual art of detachment. Where he wasn't married to anything so that he could say yes to the will of God and it wouldn't run through a filter. What are some of the attachments of our day? Primary ones. Our passion. Uh Uh-oh. Did you feel that tilt in the room? That resonates in our generation, our passion. I deeply believe that calling is a verb. It's not a noun. And I believe we've disoriented people and ourselves by continually talking about it like it's a noun. What's your calling? What's your calling? What's my calling? As if there's one. And the kingdom of God is built around this idea that there is a God who calls you by name, not by your job description. He's not looking at your business card when he invites you to do something. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at who he designed you to be. He's looking at who you've become in your maturity, in your walk with God. He's looking at you. And he says, I call you into this situation now because I need you here. And there are many callings that we will all fulfill across a lifetime. He will call us again and again. I've had the experience many times in my life where God has said, Dan, I know what you love. I know the passion that drives you. I know who you are. I know what moves you at night. I know what keeps you up. I know what you're thinking when people are talking about different things and it's triggering things in you and you want to stand up and say, no way. That's not true. I know how you feel. I know what's going on inside of you. But here's the deal, Dan. I need you right here at this post And by the way, I'm not going to give you a time frame. And my passions rise up as this filter and say, but Lord, I guess you don't really know me though, do you? I mean, if you even just do a basic Google search, you'll discover more than it seems you know right now. Uh You know, you don't know the the elemental combinations that are going in, you know, off in me right now. What matters to me? What will, what will be fulfilling? And I think me being fulfilled is really part of this thing, kind of think like that, because it gives me energy, etc. Now, what I'm not saying is that God won't lead you and call you according to your passions. Please don't hear that. He will. He absolutely will. But I promise you across a lifetime, he's going to call you again and again into situations where he simply needs you there. Amen. And that may be all the information we get. And over and over and over again, we have to have our hearts prepared and practiced to keep saying yes to that. So like Jesus, when the big decision comes and it seems like he's at the top of his calling and vocation by being beaten and killed and put on a cross, we need to be able to come to that place in the small decisions of our lives and say, Lord, again, blank canvas, not my will, but your will be done. Passions and everything are all behind me. What is your will? That's... What births an adventurous soul? That's what births a holy renegade who knows when God says, I want you teaching the third graders now. I'm not gonna tell you how long, I just need you there. And so we do it. The second thing that we see in this is that we begin to imagine the outcomes. And this is where we explore a little bit. This is where we think about where this thing could go. So after he prepares the canvas, my artist friend begins to sketch out the possible ideas on it. Now, he's already worked through a lot of papers. My favorite, uh, uh, my favorite, I love art museums, right? I often go to these events where everyone's saying, hey, what do you want to do for fun tonight? We're going to go watch this. We're going to go to a sporting event. We're going to, I'm like, can we just go see the art Gallery? Anyone? with me in this thank you lord we thank you so uh, uh we went to see michelangelo's drawings the other day i love the drawings because they're the analog they're the process they're not just the final outcome they're the process of coming and what would be good etc this is the pros and cons thinking but often we jump into the pros and cons thinking before we have dealt with the attachments and the attachments are going to convolute the way we think about the pros and the cons now, I do all this process. When we're making major decisions, we write this all out. We write out all our attachments. We talk about them. We did it with every one of my kids for the college they were to go to and where they, where they were going. We dealt with all the attachments. What are you attached to? What's mom attached to? What's dad attached to? I don't want to spend any money. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm open. You know, it's like these, these holy moments that happen. And uh, especially when your son has a full-ride ROTC scholarship and he comes home and he says, I just don't think I'm to do that okay, okay, well, let me just pull up my saint robes, get a halo and go to the Lord with my attachments, you know. Uh, But we go to this stage and it's imagine the outcome, sketch the possible futures, do the pros and cons of every option. One of the ways Ignatius said to do this is imagine yourself at your own funeral. And someone is about to talk about, you know, there was this moment when he made this decision. This was the courageous decision he made at this point in his life. This was the decision. And go ahead. How do you feel about that? That you did do it or you didn't do it? He says, go ahead. Use your your God-given imagination. Begin to flesh it out. But again, that follows the attachment slate so that you can do the sketching, run it all out, and then you begin to see that maybe one of the possibilities that you didn't think was as strong is actually rising to the surface. Then your third step is to take that and go to... Making the decision, moving forward with confidence. Now, hear me. Making the decision, I think, is a confluence of many things. One of them is getting discernment from the community around us. People we trust to hear God who won't just tell us what we want to hear, uh, but who tell us what we need to hear. When I was in business and I I, I got to build a dot-com and sell a dot-com, I was so excited and I thought I'd be fulfilled. And guess what? I wasn't. You know, it's just the way it happens. Like, yay. Oh. (laughs) Yay. Lost my job. Yay. You know, it's like... (laughs) Whatever, it's this. So you just keep running through life. But one of the things that I've seen uh, many uh, entrepreneurs make a mistake in is they're afraid to get advice from people because they're going to get things they don't like. And then how are they going to make a different decision and then offend the uh, person? Go through all this stuff. I'm like, get all the input you can from people who have been there, done that. But from your community, this is why we need discernment. In St. Stephen, we would actually have discernment groups. We'd get together over major decisions for people. They'd ask us, we'd worship for a bit, and then we'd just listen to the Lord of them for like an hour. And we'd just jot down words. And it wouldn't even be, you know, we weren't saying we have to fulfill your need. This has to work for you. We're just going to come and, and hear God. But we need the discernment of our community. There is a we element in this. And then there are times like Steve Jobs, you know, he's always our icon in this, that the community won't be able to tell him what to do because it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? He's just going to have to be a lion and move forward with something. The problem is, is in those, we can still have the community support and guidance around us so that our character doesn't fall to pieces in the middle of it all. Does that make sense? So we're drawing on our community the gifts of God for the people of God. So we're learning. So we're growing together. So in this making the decision, this is the, the image... And uh, I heard I was to speak for 40 minutes. I'm at 42, but I heard that Adam often uh, blows that up too. So no problem. Um, But uh, no, in this making the decision, it's the old story of the parable of the donkey. To the left is the hay, to the right is the water. And the donkey is both hungry and thirsty. What does the donkey do? Well, the donkey dies because it can't make up its mind of hunger and thirst. Thirst first, apparently, right? Because he couldn't just make a decision. When you come to the place, you simply make the decision. It's the resolve we see in Jesus' words. Let's go. We're going to do this now. Because here's the gift of God for the people of God as well. If there is a scripture that says, if you are going the wrong way, that too he will show you. But he's looking for you to move. He's looking for you to step forward in this. I'd like us to stand together, if you would. And I want to just lead us in a moment of prayer And maybe as a physical demonstration of the state of our hearts You could open your hands uh, In front of you, this, this yielding Lord, we say this morning on this fourth Sunday of Easter Like you in the garden, we are blank canvases We choose to cover over and sand out all the bumps All the things that could affect and clutter what you're about to do in just the next phase, the next decision you're welcoming us to make. And now just imagine in your mind maybe the next big decision you feel like is facing you. Lord, we offer these decisions to you, knowing that your decision in the garden meant the resurrection and the life we are tasting sweet, sweet and full now. And so... In our decisions, we choose to suspend our unbelief. We choose to live in suspension of not knowing, and we expect that you will guide us to the right decision. Help us to unveil our attachments, make them clear so they don't get in the way of saying, Not my will, but yours. Help us in this, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to gather the right information to process the information well, but to do so from a clean slate. Help us to sketch this thing out wisely. Help us to draw in community for that. And then, Lord, help us to make the decision with confidence and boldness, knowing that your spirit will guide us and lead us if all of this is seasoned with a life of prayer. And in our small decisions, our smaller ones, help us to practice this. So that we might become the people of God making kingdom decisions in the world. A blessing on us to make the decisions of Easter. The decisions that led to Easter. And still in this posture of receiving from the Lord, I want to leave you with this word of exhortation. It's a very short part of it. But it came to me for you and I just, I want to pray this for us. And whatever you do, expect that the God who spoke then speaks now and is writing a world bent on wronging itself, fixing a world bent on breaking itself through a beautiful, remarkable church who wakes up every day, puts the coffee on, settles their hearts through prayer and worship, sets their hearts on things above and unleashes heaven on an unsuspecting populace through simple acts of love and presence compelled by the spirit to do the impossible, ask the improbable, and claim the undoubtable truth that the love of God can heal the human heart, soothe the fractured mind, and fill the empty vessel of a soul spent by suffering. This is our God, faithful and true, looking for you, looking for me, in the wilds and the tumult of life. Spirit of God, let this community continue to be salt and light in Campbellsville. And let there be a renewal of confidence that you spoke then and you speak now. The gift of your resurrection life at work in this community and each person here. We come with thankful hearts. In Jesus' living name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook twitter or instagram until next time peace to you